Please turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 8. Starting in verse 37, working our way to verse 59. Please join with me in prayer. Almighty, all-powerful, creator of all things, ruler of the heavens and the earth, creator of all things, thou who workest all things for thy good, for thy glory, for thy purposes, according to thy wisdom, we bow before thee this afternoon. We ask for thy grace and thy help. Lord, help thou me to preach thy word. Lord, that I might have a coal from thy altar. We believe in the Holy Spirit. We ask for his guidance. O Holy Spirit, that thou would lead us into all truth, as thou hast promised. That thou would grant comfort to our hearts, strength to our feebleness, a sight of Jesus to our blindness. Lord, we ask for thy help. We ask for thy leading, thy guiding. Lord, I pray for the hearts of these thy people, that thou wouldst open them, work in them, teach them, grant them humility to hear thy word, to give place to the word of their Savior. Lord, we look forward to that day where we dwell with thee in thy presence forevermore with thine holy angels, saints, victorious, glorified. That we would be finished with this earth, its sin, its blindness, its unfaithfulness. But Lord, as we look to that time, while we yet dwell in this age, give us eyes to see thee. Give us ability to serve thee in the midst of a wicked generation. Lord, we love thee, we praise thee, and ask for thy help this afternoon. In Jesus' name, amen. John chapter 8, verse 37, through the end of the chapter. Jesus, speaking with the Pharisees and some other Jews, said this, I know that ye are Abraham's seed, but ye seek to kill me, because my word hath no place in you. I speak that which I have seen with my father, and ye do that which ye have seen with your father. They answered and said unto him, Abraham is our father. Jesus saith unto them, If ye were Abraham's children... Ye would do the works of Abraham. But now ye seek to kill me, a man that hath told you the truth, which I have heard of God. This did not Abraham. Ye do the deeds of your father. Then said they to him, 
We be not born of fornication. We have one Father, even God. Jesus said to them, If God were your Father, ye would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God. Neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Why do ye not understand my speech? Even because ye cannot hear my word. Ye are of your father the devil, and the lusts of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar, and the father of it. And because I tell you the truth, ye believe me not. Which of you convinceth me of sin? And if I say the truth, why do ye not believe me? He that is of God heareth God's words. Ye therefore hear them not, because ye are not of God. Then answered the Jews and said unto him, Say we not well that thou art a Samaritan and hast a devil? Jesus answered, I have not a devil, but I honor my father, and ye do dishonor me. And I seek not mine own glory. There is one that seeketh and judgeth. Verily, verily, I say unto you, If a man keep my saying, he shall never see death. Then said the Jews unto him, Now we know that thou hast a devil. Abraham is dead, and the prophets, and thou sayest, If a man keep my saying, he shall never taste of death. Art thou greater than our father Abraham, which is dead? And the prophets are dead. Who makest thou thyself? Jesus answered, If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my father that honoreth me. Of whom ye say that he is your God. Yet ye have not known him, but I know him. And if I should say I know him not, I shall be a liar like unto you. But I know him and keep his saying. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Then said the Jews unto him, Thou art not yet fifty years old, and hast thou seen Abraham? Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. Then they took up stones to cast at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. The title of this afternoon's sermon, Giving Place to the Word of Jesus. Dear congregation, we live in a day of great attack Upon the word of Jesus. The Bible is being chopped apart. Both in content and meaning. Daily. By higher criticism and lower or textual criticism. The words of the Bible. If we can even know what they originally were. Cannot mean what they appear to mean. They can at the very least not be taken literally. And certainly not as God's authoritative word for us today. The Bible is merely the written expressions of various faith communities throughout time. They put forth who the Jesus of faith was to those people at that time. They're disconnected. The Bible needs to be seen as disconnected from the Jesus of history. And the words of the Bible are only useful as a kind of glimpse into the history of the religious development of a various and certain different sects of Christianity. Nothing more. This may seem far-fetched and stretched, and, well, that's happening in the very worst parts of Christianity. But, my dear people, I tell you the very truth. 
This is the majority view of most seminaries. Most clergy are being taught this in America in one form or another. It comes as a wolf in sheep's clothing. It is there in every seminary virtually. There, of course, are some faithful seminaries. But this is the majority view that's being taught. This is the training most clergy receive. Why is this? Why is this happening? Dr. Bose, a commentator in the 1800s, put it this way. The reason why so many are against the Bible is because they know the Bible is against them. The critics have no place for Jesus' word in their heart. Here in this passage, we see that where the word of Jesus ought to, uh, ought to have at once been received, it is rejected. These Jews were Abraham's seed, but they had not Abraham's faith. Today, it is even the church, Jesus' own redeemed people, that find it difficult to give place to their Lord's word. Jesus knows where his word is received. He knows. And where it has no place, he also knows. Let us therefore, as Christians, who love our Lord Jesus Christ, who submit to his word and receive it, labor to continue to make a place for it. Labor to continue to make a place for it. Here in this passage, he declares that all else, everything outside of making a place for it, is ineffective. It was in vain that the Jews were the favored race, that they were descended of Abraham. It did not matter if they did not admit the Savior's word into their hearts. So too we can be in the most reformed, liturgically accurate, theologically correct church. But if his word hath no place in our heart, dear believer, it is of no use. The practical result appeared in the lives of the Jews. They sought to kill Jesus. However, even in the church among the regenerate, we can apply it. Because even in the church, many have little care for the word of Jesus. Little care for the word of Jesus. They give it but little place in their hearts and lives. And us as sinners, as those who bow with the flesh, can still have this tendency that we must labor against. This afternoon, let us consider three things. Number one, what place the word should have in men's hearts. What place the word should have in men's hearts. Number two, why it often has no place in men's hearts. Number three, what will come of us having no place for the word in our hearts. So first, what place the word should have in men's hearts. The word comes from Jesus, comes from Jesus, who is the very appointed messenger of God and is even the word of God, John 1.1. 1, 1. We must recognize that as it is the word of Jesus, it is thus true and saving. It is powerful, it is effectual. Therefore, it must have a place among those who hear it, those who call themselves as people and come to hear his word. If it is to be effic efficacious, it must be received. It must be taken in. 
that must be revered, exulted in, trusted, obeyed, cherished, and maintained. It is not simply we hear the Bible once, we come to faith in Christ, and that is it. We can grow lazy and lackadaisical in our hearing of God's word preached, in our daily reading. We must fight against it. We must labor to make sure that we hear well, as we talked about last week. Within our hearts, Jesus' word ought to both obtain and maintain, ought to both obtain and retain the following things. Number one, an inside place, an inside place. Jesus' word ought to obtain and retain an inside place in our hearts. So in our thoughts, we must think upon the word, dwell upon it, meditate on it. In our memory, we must make frequent, frequent reference to it in our hearts, in our minds, in our conscience, and in our affections. It must have an inside place. The psalmist, Psalm 119, verse 11 Thy word have I hid in mine heart, O Lord. We must put it there. We must give it an inside place. In this, we must be like the prophet Jeremiah, should we not? In Jeremiah 15, 16, he says this. He prays this. Thy words were found, and I did eat them. And thy word was unto me joy and rejoicing of mine heart. We ought to also take to heart the Apostle Paul's command in Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. It's a conscious choice of our own free will as Christians that we make where we are going to place Jesus' word. Is it going to be in our heart or on the shelf? Is it going to be in our head or in our being, in our soul? The word of Jesus also must have a place of honor. It must be placed inside of us, but also must have a place of honor. It should receive our careful attention. As we heard last week, be careful then how you hear. We ought in all things to rely upon the sure word of promise which God has given us. Since God neither lies, nor errs, nor changes. We can give it a place of honor, a place of reverence, a place of faith, a place of obedience. In John 8, 47, Jesus said, He that is of God heareth God's words. As we read in Luke 6, 46, Jesus says, And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Likewise, in Matthew 7, 24, Jesus says, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. Must have a place of honor. Must be the foundation of who we are as Christians. Must also have a place of trust. We do not merely hear the word, put it in our heart, and honor it. Give it the best place in our heart's home, but also trust it experientially. We ought in all things to rely upon the sure word of promise. God cannot lie. He will not lie. He does not change. He does not make mistakes. Just as the Apostle Paul said in the opening to his letter to Titus, chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, he says this, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of the truth, which is after godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised 
before the world began. Thus, let us trust it. Let us trust it and teach others to trust it. Don't just take it in, accept it, believe it, put it in an honorable place in your heart, but also trust it, obey it, lean on it. Likewise, logically, it must also have a place of rule. It must govern us as Christians. The word of Jesus is the law of a Christian. As we talked about earlier in Matthew 5.18, Jesus says, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. And also, in Matthew 7, verse 21, Jesus says to those who came to him, professing him as Lord, professing all these amazing things they had done, he says to them, Depart from me, ye that work iniquity, which is literally lawlessness. Those who live without Jesus' yoke upon their shoulders. His yoke upon their shoulders. Most people don't know what a yoke is. It's you yoke two oxen together you to plow. So we must be under his yoke, under his rule, under his dictation. Also, give it a place of love. A place of love. It should be prized, prized by us. Again, reading the psalm, sweeter than honey and the honeycomb must be prized above our daily food and defended with our very lives. It is worth giving our lives for and our brothers and sisters in the Lord throughout the world that are under intense physical persecution know this well, as it was in the days of the apostles. They were willing to give their life for the truth of God's word. To have a place for Jesus' word in their heart, they were willing to lay down their very physical lives. Job acknowledges this prizing of the word above food in 23 chapter 23 verse 12 job says neither have i gone back from the commandment of his lips i have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food more than my necessary food the apostle jude in verse 3 tells us i exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints earnestly contend we must be willing to fight tooth and nail because this is our very sustenance. It's our very life. It's our very existence. It's not merely a book we read, a devotional we read. This is God's word, and his word gives us life and fullness. Last thought on that. Give us, let us give it a permanent place. Let us give a permanent place in our hearts to the Lord Jesus' word. It must so transform us it must so abide in us if we are to have a place with christ as he said in verse 31 of chapter 8 of john then said jesus to those jews which believed on him if ye continue literally remain in my word then are ye my disciples indeed we must continue must be permanent not one and done not one two three repeat after me but the foundation the bedrock of our life Second point, why, why the word of Jesus has no place in many men? Why? Many men, many people make no place for the word because they're unconverted. Because they're unconverted. That's obvious. But dear church, sadly, 
Many believers also make little room for his word for the same reasons that unconverted people do. For the same exact reasons unconverted people do. Let us examine a few of these reasons. Number one, people think themselves too busy to make a place in their heart for Jesus Christ. And so, they cannot give the word a place in their hearts and lives. Too busy. It may be that there is no room for Jesus in the end of your life. As when he was born in Bethlehem. There was no room found for him in the end. Think of it. Think of it, dear believer. The unconverted people think themselves too much occupied to be saved. Too busy. How many people have you talked to when you're sharing the gospel with them? Later in life, I'll get to it. Pastor Taylor mentioned this last week in Sunday school if you were here. Later in life, right now, you know, I, I believe that what you're telling me is true about the gospel. That, that's something I probably need to get to. You're right. But, I, you know, I need to get married. I need to finish college. I need to do all these things first. And then, then I'll get around to it. But it's too late. It's too late. They're too busy. It's not of importance to them. The unconverted think themselves too much occupied to be saved by the word. But many Christians make themselves too much occupied to profit from the word that gives them life. Too much occupied to profit. The unconverted is not my primary concern here this morning. But us as Christians. We can for the same reason the unconverted make no use of it. And don't come to salvation. Also not make use of it and not profit from it. If you would turn with me to Luke chapter 10. Or listen as I read it. We have an example of this. In the lives of Martha and Mary, some Christians make themselves too much occupied to profit from the word. Verses 38 through 42. Now it came to pass as they went that he entered into a certain village and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about much serving, and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her therefore that she help me. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful, and Martha hath chosen that good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Some Christians make themselves too busy, make themselves too busy to profit. From God's word with much serving. You see here, Martha, though engaged in a good task, it's good to serve. It's good to lay down your life for others. We're called to do that. It's good to work hard. These are good things. But though she was engaged in a good task, she made herself of too much temporal use to benefit from the eternal word of Jesus. She could not sit down and be taught because she was too busy making herself of temporal use. You've often heard this, don't be, of so, don't be so heavenly minded you do no earthly good. That's completely backwards. The more heavenly minded you are, the more earthly good you'll do. She was simply earthly minded and did no spiritual good. Whereas Mary, concerning herself and being so heavenly minded, she would then rise from Jesus' feet and go out and do much earthly good. It's backwards. 
You don't get to the word of Jesus after you've done everything else. If I have time, I'll get to that. Hopefully I do. No. You know what Martin Luther used to often say? He told Melanchthon one time, I have so much to do today, I'm going to have to add in another hour of prayer. We think, man, I've got a lot to do, better cut my devotion short. Five minutes will do. Five minutes will do. It even spills over into the seminaries. There's a popular book on, on intermediate Greek grammar called Going Deeper in Biblical Greek. And at the end, they say, man, if after you finish all this syntax and 500 pages, if you can do your 10 verses a day, that's going deeper. Sadly, the pastors that are being taught to read the Bible in the original languages are 10 verses a day is good for a minister. How much lower is the bar set for the layperson? A verse a day. You get your daily Bible verse on your phone. You're then Martha. You've made yourself too busy. Too occupied with the temporal to benefit. But we see that Martha then even slights her sister Mary. Asking that Jesus would correct her for her lack of service. But Jesus offers the perfect corrective. Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things. He didn't say those things were bad. But he goes on and says, but one thing is needful. And Mary hath chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. That good part. Second reason why it often has no place in people. Because it does not come as a novelty. Jesus' word does not come as a novelty. And therefore it is refused. It's boring. Like the men of Athens, the unconverted only desire to make place for a new and exciting word. A word that changes with the times and with their feelings and what things they think they need. Acts 17.21 For all the Athenians and strangers which were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. That seems to be the church growth strategy of so many churches today. Let us hear and tell a new thing. No. Yet, we as Christians often fall into this same or similar trap. We as Christians can grow weary. As Christians, we can grow weary of hearing the same doctrines, the same old unchanging story. Give me the old story, I say. Give me the same used, tired, beat up truths. Because they're the same yesterday as they are today. And they will forever, for all eternity, remain the only thing that Christians need. The only thing. We do not need to have our ears tickled. But let us ask this as well. Do we become wearied of food? Do we become wearied of air? Of water? Of life? So too, we ought not to grow weary of giving place to the word of Jesus, which feeds our souls more than the necessities of life do our body. More than the necessities of life do our body. So relevant. That is relevant. Not adding in some play. Adding in some, let's pull out a a stool and a plastic pulpit and I'll sit and have a chat with y'all. No, it's the proclamation of God's word alone. And not even 
doctrinal formations. God's word. God's word. Let us give place to the word of Jesus, as boring and old and tired as it is. A third reason it doesn't find a place in some people's heart. Because something else occupies that place. The word of Jesus should have this place in their heart, but it's occupied by something else. Sometimes it is that we prefer the word of man, current events, politics, personal interests, hobbies, personal doubts, personal anxieties. We prefer those things over the word of Jesus, and we give place to those things. We'll give up 15 rooms in our heart. If you think of your heart as a mansion, we'll give up all the rooms for all those things. Oh, no, Jesus, please, you, you, you can't come in here. Here dwells my anxiety. Oh, no, no, Lord, not this door either. For in here dwells my hobbies. Is this a wise preference? I know my congregation would say no, amen? Certainly not. For we ought to forsake all other cares to make place for the word of Jesus. I am a wicked man, very wicked before you. I need the word of Jesus dwelling. We ought to forsake all other cares. As the disciples forsook the care of their boats, their livelihood, their father even. Bye, Dad. In Mark 1, verses 16 through 20, we see that. I'll make you fishers of men, Jesus said. Come and follow me. A fourth reason people do not have place for God's word is this. Both the unconverted and Jesus' own people may think Christ's word too holy, too righteous, too spiritual for them to give it place. Maybe an excuse would be, I have a hard time understanding the word. Well, there's so many resources out there for free, I don't accept that. Secondly, as we talked about last week, it has nothing to do with your ability to digest the word fed to you, but it has to do with appetite. You don't want more. But some people do. They feel that Christ's word is too holy. It's too spiritual for them to give it a place in their heart. But this, should, this fact alone should startle us and awaken us out of our slumber. For the thought itself condemns us. It condemns us. If the word of Jesus is too holy for us, then we have all the more reason to come to him. To make place for it. For it is the only remedy to our unholiness. Neglecting to read your Bible because you're a sinner and you're so sinful and you realize how sinful you are is antithetical to the purpose of the word itself dwelling in us. Because guess what? You are very sinful and you're more sinful than you know. And you will always be very sinful and you will always be more sinful than you know. That's never going to change. Never until you are glorified. In this life, it will never change. But you know what will change? Your heart as you come before the word of God and feed on it. That will change. That will change. No one has ever, no Christian has ever come to their deathbed and said, I wish I would not have read my Bible so much. I wish I would not have attended church so much. I wish I would not have dwelt in my inner closet with Jesus so much. But many, many thousands of Christians have come and said, I wish I would not have focused on the world so much. Watched so many movies 
watched so many sports games, watched so many impure things, wasted so much time piddling around. All of us will have that. But none of us, if we be Christ, will say, I wish I would have given less place in my heart to Jesus' word. Let us learn from Peter's lesson here. Peter also thought he was too sinful for Christ. In Luke 5, 8, Jesus does this amazing miracle, brings in tons of fish, probably more fish than they thought were even in the Sea of Galilee. The boats begin to sink. And it says, when, Peter, when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. Whereas we should have come as the woman with the flow of blood who knew that she was sick, she was dying. No earthly cure. She tried it all. But she said, if I can only get near enough to touch the hem of his robe, I shall be made well. That's how we ought to come in light of our sin. Fifth reason that it often finds no place. Jesus' word finds no place in some hearts but it, because it appears but a cold comfort. Jesus' word appears as a cold comfort, and therefore it finds no place. It cannot deal with the stark reality of life, it is thought. It's nice to have a coffee cup that says, take up your cross and follow me, or God has a wonderful plan for your life. It's nice to have all things work together for the good of those who love God on a sign hanging in your living room. But it's just not useful. It's not useful. It's no good. It's a great saying. It's quaint. It's lovely. It's written in cursive on the sign. However, when the storms and gales of life come against me, it's of no value. It's of no value. It is but a quaint saying. That's why it often finds no place. But this idea flows either from a depraved nature that is not regenerate in the unconverted, and to shame us, it then also would flow from a gross unbelief in the converted. When, when push comes to shove, it's no good. But Jesus says, those who believe in me receive my word. The saints are called to rejoice in the word of Jesus, not put it off as unuseful for daily living. Does that mean you do nothing when hardships come upon you and there's things that need solving in your life or finances or whatever may be happening? Does that mean you just sit back and go, well, God's going to take care of it. I'm just going to watch TV. No, that's not what it means either. But it does mean that you're not spending more time scrambling trying to figure out how the arm of the flesh can succeed over bowing before the word of God, Jesus Christ, and asking him to intercede on thy behalf. Note the words of the psalmist. Psalm 1, 1 through 3. I recommend this psalm to you. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. That's daily living. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, the roots going deep, and drinking from that everlasting stream that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, 
And whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. That's how Christian living works. Sixth reason it might find no place is some people think themselves too wise. I got it figured out. And Christians fall into this as well. Again, when hard times come, or obedience is actually challenged and put in your face, I have it figured out. I can, I can do it on my own. I'm too wise, too cultured, I'm too refined to yield to the rule of Jesus. You know what this is? Is to make yourself a fool, like the Sodomites in Romans 1, 22. Lastly, maybe these are some of the reasons that Jesus' word often finds no place in our heart. Could these be some of the reasons in our own lives that you're simply not earnest in seeking? You think you are. I went to church. I heard the sermon. I did the basics. I got my chapter in. I got my verse of the day in. I've been doing the Christian things. I'm in earnest. But then when Jesus knocks, you do not answer. Is it simply maybe that you're fond of sin? When push comes to shove, it's not that the word of God is insufficient, it's that your obedience is insufficient. Could it be that you're greedy for evil gain in this life and you don't have time for it? You'd rather build up your kingdom, build on the sand like an unbeliever. Or is it that you need a change of heart, whether it's regenerate, to be regenerate, or to be renewed in the spirit of your mind through God's word? Some thinking points. Third, last, what will come of, the, of, having, of giving no place to the word of Christ in our hearts? What will come of this action of putting, giving no place to the word of Christ in our hearts? Number one, every past rejection of God's word has simply led us into sin. Has it not? Every sin is a denial of God's word, is a rebellion against God's word. So if we continue to deny it, give no place to it, let it not dwell richly within us, then we're just going to go into more sin. And sin is not enjoyable to a Christian, nor is it honorable to God. The second thing that might come to us if we give no place to Christ's word is this. The word, and this is the most terrifying one, the word may cease to ask for its place within us. If we continue to neglect giving place to God's word in our hearts, it may be that the word of God will seek to ask for such a place. If all of those rooms are filled up with all of your cares and anxieties and needs and wants, it may be that Jesus will no longer seek for room at your end. Take the Shulamite. Take the Shulamite. Take him. Look at him. Solomon, chapter 6, turn to Song of Solomon. Chapter 5, starting verse 1. I am come into my garden, my sister. This is the Shulamite speaking. My spouse, I have gathered my myrrh and my spice. I have eaten my honeycomb with my honey. I have drunk my wine with my milk. Eat, O friends, drink, yea, Drink abundantly, O beloved. Then the bride, I sleep, but my heart waketh. It is the voice of my beloved that knocketh, saying, Open to me, my sister, my love, my dove, my undefiled. 
for my head is filled with dew and my locks with the drops of the night. I have put off my coat, how shall I put it on? I have washed my feet, how shall I defile them? My beloved put in his hand by the hole of the door, and my bowels were moved for him. I rose up to open my, to my beloved, and my hands dropped with myrrh, and my fingers with sweet-smelling myrrh upon the handles of the lock. I opened my beloved, but my beloved had withdrawn himself and was gone. My soul failed when he spake. I sought him, but I could not find him. I called him, but he gave no answer. Take the Shulamite. Take the bridegroom coming to the bride, asking for place in her heart. If we continue to give no place to Jesus' word in our heart, it may come to us. And this is the most terrifying aspect to me. That that desire for the longing, that desire for God's word, that longing for God's word, that hunger for Jesus' word of comfort, of guidance, of strength, will no longer come to you. Will no longer come to you. He will withdraw himself to chasten you. Do not let that be so. Third, you may yourself become hardened in your unconverted state if you're an unbeliever so that you decline to even hear the word with the outward ear. You know people like this that you've spoken to, you've preached to, you've shared the gospel with, you've lived before, and they don't want to hear it anymore. They're done hearing it. They're now hardened in their sin. They refuse to even hear it. Or, as believers, if we continue to put off God's word and give no place for Jesus in our heart, we'll become so dulled that we no longer profit from it. You also might become like a violent opponent of the word, like these Jews. May it never be. The word also may condemn us at the last day as unbelievers. That's John 12, 48. But as believers, we also can face a judgment here. Our useless worldly labors will be burned off from us. Be burned off from us. In 1 Corinthians 3, 11 through 15, the Apostle Paul says this, But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest. For the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. And that fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. But if any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet as by fire. So though we don't, aren't condemned in Christ, obviously, you might spend your entire life laboring for that which is not bread, building an edifice for yourself that will simply be burned away at the last day. And this is the result of us not giving place to Christ's word. If we continually live that way, then all of our labors here on earth, because they were of no eternal value, and thus not worth doing, will be burned away. Let us reason for a moment before we close. Think about what we've spoken about here this morning, this afternoon. Think about it. Meditate on it throughout the week. Why do we not give place to it? Because all of us are guilty in differing degrees of not giving enough place to Christ's word. So why is it? Search your heart. Ask the Lord, search my heart, O Lord. Reveal to me unknown sins. 
All that is asked of us, dear believers, is to give it place. That's it. It says give place. It will bring with it all that we need. It's not hard work we have to do here. We have to give our Savior place to speak in our lives. Let us also then, therefore, open wide the door and bid him enter. Don't be like the bride that we just read about, who by the time she got around to it, my feet, I don't want to sully them, I've washed them, I've made my bed, I've done all these things. Now's not a good time. I'm too preoccupied with the things of the world. I'll get around to letting you in, Jesus. Don't let us be like that bride. But let us be a bride that then, as soon as she hears the voice of her beloved, rises, flies to the door, and opens it and bids him enter. Gives him a fine seat. Kisses upon his feet, washing them. And then sits down at them to hear his word. It is the best portion, dear believer, and it will not be taken from you. It is the word of our Lord Jesus, our Savior. It means us the highest good. He wants to grow us, increase us by it, and it will greatly bless us. Let us close with the words of one 19th century religious magazine, which was called The Leisure Hour. Quote, The Bible has been expelled for centuries by atheistic or sacerdotal hate from the dwellings of many of the European nations. As a matter of course, the domestic virtues have declined, meaning family life is is on the decline. The conjugal relation is disparaged. Marriage is disparaged. Deception and intrigue have supplanted mutual confidence, and society has become diseased to its very core. The very best thing we can do, the only thing which will be efficient to arrest these evils, is to restore to those nations the word of God, to replace in their houses that Bible of which they have been robbed. Only do for France and Italy, Belgium and Spain, Portugal and Austria, what has been attempted and to a great extent accomplished for our country, England. Put a Bible in every family, and a mightier change will pass over Europe that can be affected by all the diplomacy of her statesmen or all the revolutions projected by her patriots. We need the scriptures, once again, to reign. We must have the word of Jesus dwelling. Give it place. This was written in the 1800s. We are in a far worse state, both in Europe and here in the United States, than then. Far worse. So what do we need? We need optimism in the word of God. We need to stand sure on the word of God. Cast off criticism. Cast off excuse. And embrace giving Jesus place in our hearts. Let him speak. Let him guide. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we once again come before thee. We thank thee for all thou hast done. Apply thy word to us. In Jesus' name, amen.